Hello and welcome to another edition of Monday Morning Boilers. As always, Connor and Chris here with you today. Uh, we've got a huge, huge uh, episode, a lot of stuff to talk about, a lot to unpack. Uh, first things first, we're going to get into football. We're going to talk about um, the quote-unquote game that happened in Minnesota. Then we're going to hit the Jeff Brom situation, kind of what we know right now as we record Sunday evening. And then we're going to talk uh, Purdue basketball with a an impressive win over a good Ball State team. But first things first, you know, the Boilermaker to Minnesota felt like there was a lot of momentum after a, a great win against Iowa, and they just laid an egg. Played terrible. Um, didn't do much of anything well. Players, coaches, I would guess the guy that drove the bus from the airport to the stadium also was bad. Um Burn the tape, move on to next week. Not a lot to learn from that. It was bad. It was, no. a, reversion, it was a reversion back to the previous program. Yes, and, and I think, I mean, it, it looked it looks like the previous regime. That looked like the type of game that we would have saw. You know, offense didn't have anything going. Defense looked totally unprepared for the physicality that Minnesota was going to bring in the running game. I think Minnesota threw the ball two times in the second half because they averaged 10 yards a carry. I mean, it was just a – it was a thorough – beating by the Gophers. Uh, one one positive, though, congratulations to Nick Sipe on completing his first pass as a Purdue Boilermaker. That's awesome. Wish it would have come in more meaningful situation, but obviously happy for him. Yeah, there's just not much positive in that whole thing. 41 to 10, thorough drubbing, wasn't even close. Um, you know, coaching, yeah. it, coaching his post-game interview said they had a horrible week of practice. Mm-hmm. And uh, they they didn't do a very good job of taking care of the little things, and they played like a team that had a horrible week of practice. Yeah, and the play calling, you know, the coaching wasn't great either, man. Play calling was yeah. pretty pretty vanilla, pretty bland. On not both very, sides, yeah, not very aggressive, and uh, just kind of lackluster and half-hearted. So there you go. So that's that's your Minnesota recap. Obviously, if you're listening, you are more than aware, I'm sure, of kind of the larger story going on right now as far as uh, on Saturday it being announced that Bobby Petrino is officially out, effective immediately at Louisville. Um, if you're a Purdue sports fan, you don't have to be told kind of the the connections between Jeff Brom and Louisville, really the Brom family, but... For those of you who may not know, Jeff Brom, his brother Brian, uh, their other brother Greg, all three played football at Louisville. Their father is has was a longtime coach and is still a, a prominent figure at Trinity High School, which is a, a prep school out of Louisville, which is where Rondell Moore went to school. You know, there's a lot of connections for Jeff Brom in Louisville. I think a lot of people, especially on the national media and on the national stage, believe that that Brom will will bolt and, and will go to Louisville. As of right now, at eight fifty eight on a Sunday night, we don't really have anything concrete. Uh, we do know that uh, Dan Dockage had tweeted out that he's going to be doing some stuff at ten o'clock tonight. Um, as far as he says, he has an update on Jeff Brom. I'm sure people are familiar with Dan Dockage's work. Sometimes he's on the money, sometimes he's not. You know. But we're we're going to stay tuned to what he says, and depending on what, what we hear from him, there may be an, an extra segment thrown on the back end of, of tonight's episode, just kind of our two cents about what, 
what we hear from him. But, I mean, really, other than that right now, it's about kind of Purdue just trying to figure things out moving forward here for the next couple games before we get to the offseason. Well, the the big story of the weekend out of the football program is not the lackluster effort at Minnesota. It's it's the story you just talked about. Um, and that's nothing new. Everyone's known that Bobby Petrino's days at Louisville were pretty limited. Um, and it was just a matter of time before the record got him or his own antics, which there's a long history of his behavior at different places doing him in. And that Coach Brahms, the number one, you know, target for their administration, their fan base, et cetera. I, I think it'll be really interesting to see how this thing plays out. You know, as, as coaches, uh, one of the things you always talk about with your team is how do you deal with distractions mm-hmm. and how do you keep the main thing the main thing. And, you know, this is a distraction. And it's a distraction in a point in the season with two games left. Uh, bowl eligibility definitely at play. Uh, how does this staff deal with the distraction of this thing? Because it's real. It's out there. It's a part of the conversation. Has been for two years. You know, you could really easily shut it down just by saying not interested. Yeah. Um, I don't anticipate that'll happen. Look, I mean, no. in coach's defense, the appeal back home is understandably strong. And it's mm-hmm. a decision that doesn't just affect him. Bear in mind, he's got two brothers, right, on the staff. Yes. And their families. And so this is a decision that affects a lot of people besides just him. Um, certainly can understand why it would be of interest. Can tell you from firsthand experience, it's hard to go home. Because oftentimes home isn't today what you remember it being. Mm-hmm. And so going home is not always easy. And sometimes going home isn't the right choice. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't, my gut tells me two things. One, um, Dan Dockage is not above a PT Barnum esque um, <laughs> effort to get, <laughs> you know, listeners sure. on his show. Sure. Um, the other part is this is the, the right kids um, commitment just a few days ago. Yeah. Is, is a canary in the mine shaft kind of thing in that if Coach Brom were going to leave, um, Milton Wright wouldn't have committed. Yeah. Milton Wright would have waited and committed to Louisville to go with Jeff Brom. Sure. I, yeah. My, my instinct tells me that he's at Purdue mm-hmm. for, for a period of time. Um, the next weeks, days, months, whatever, we'll reveal that. The big thing is, is how do you avoid the distraction and, try to get a team across the finish line to six wins and a bowl bid that that's very much doable for them. Well, jumping back to your, your, your point about Milton, right? I think that's a really good one. And and I think that uh, there's, there's two, there's two arguments there. I think you could say, well, Jeff Brom could very honestly at that point in time, tell Milton, right? Well, I'm not looking to go anywhere else because Louisville job wasn't open when, when Milton decided to, to, to go ahead and commit, but on the flip side, you have to imagine that Brom, or at least um, Brom's longtime friend from college who acts as his agent, that somebody has an inkling one way or another that Petrino was probably on the chopping block at least at the end of the year. And so I think it is telling that Milton Wright 
decided to commit, like you said, because I think that, you know, that has to be something that Brom probably knows in the back, knew in the back of his head that Petrino was more than likely out. And so to be able to that, you know, that, that could be a sign one way or another. Yeah, we'll see what comes up in the next couple months. Right now, the task at hand is getting a team focused and prepared to play in a manner that gets them to a bowl eligibility, which is very much possible. Um, can't be the group that showed up for the exhibition in Minnesota this weekend and got humbled and embarrassed. And no. embarrassed. Um, uh-huh. So, you know, how do you deal with distractions? And it's a great opportunity to teach by example. You know, as yeah. coaches, we always talk about it. Well, here's an opportunity for you to demonstrate for your kids how you deal with distractions. Because it's going to, because yeah. it is a distraction. It's a distraction right now, tonight at nine o'clock at night on Sunday. It's a distraction right now. Yeah. Well, and, and Brom's got a, a press conference at 11 a.m. tomorrow <laughs> that I'm sure he's going to come in and he's going to say, we're just, we're gonna, I'm going to talk about Minnesota or Wisconsin. I'm not focused on anything outside of that, which is what he should do. But you got to think about from the, from the player's perspective, and I'm sure, you know, you'll agree with me on this. It's not just questions from the media. It's going to be when you're sitting in your 1230 lecture and the kid that sits next to you, who's maybe never spoken to you before is going to lean over and say, Hey, do you know what coach is doing? Yeah. There's going to be a lot of that for all of those guys on the roster. But, and it's going to be a tough way. To, you're going to have to, they're going to have to block the noise out somehow. That's why I'm saying it's a teachable moment. It's a mm-hmm. teachable moment. How do you deal with distraction? Student athletes don't live their lives in a vacuum. No. And so it's a teachable moment. And it'll be interesting to see how this staff and this head coach choose to handle it and address it. If I'm Purdue, um, if I'm Mr. Bobinski or I'm Mr. Daniels or the board of trustees, uh, you know, I'm on the phone tonight having some conversations about what we need to do to make this coach and this staff know that we want them for the long haul. You know, we've caught, mm-hmm. we've caught lightning in the bottle for the second time here. Um, like we've talked about earlier, you know, Joe Tiller being the first time, got lucky this time. Hate to, yeah. hate to see let that go. The appeal home is it, strong. Man, it's strong. It's not a financial consideration. It's emotional. It's family. Right. It's more than, right. it's more than just him and his wife and his kids. It's his brothers and their wives and their kids. And, man, it's a, it's a big network of people that get impacted by this thing. That's tough. Yeah. Well, and for Louisville – it's going to require quite the financial effort because they, they just fired Patino, right? And he's in the process of you know their legal battle about whether or not he's going to be get his settlement. You've got Petrino's contract that you've got to eat, which is about $13 million. You got Chris Mack's contract. Not only you had to buy Chris Mack out at Xavier, and, and now you've got the contract that you're paying him as well to be the basketball coach. Now you're going to heap on more money to pay out Brahms contract here at Purdue and then pay him and his staff, you know, that's going to be quite the financial effort for a program that no longer has its most prevalent booster uh, after some, some kind of off, you know, out of sports issues that were well-documented about the uh, um, John Schnatter. Yeah. Well, John's guy. 
Yeah, but they, you know, money's not an issue, man. There's money there. Right. There's other right. alumni. Papa John's one of many. And, mm-hmm. you know, if they got to come up with the money, they can come up with the money. That, you know, if this deal doesn't get done, it won't be because somebody couldn't raise the last 50 cents. Yeah. Right. I mean, that, that ain't going right. to happen, man. We're talking about major, major business here. Uh, money won't stop it from happening. It'll It'll come down to somebody making a gut decision based off where they think they fit best and, mm-hmm. you know, where you can win the best and win the most. I am horribly biased in that I think Purdue is an infinitely better job than Louisville. Well, I agree with you. I but, think you look at you look you look at Louisville right now as a, in a football sense. They have really struggled. They've they obviously had quit on Petrino. I know that there was a report early this week that as many as twenty guys on the roster have requested the paperwork for transfer. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean that all twenty will leave, but that should tell you that you've got a a good portion of the roster that's looking elsewhere. Well, what's their record right now? I believe they're two and eight, yeah. two and seven, something so, like that. If you're the next coach in, you might want a good portion of that roster looking elsewhere at two and eight. But I mean, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I, mean, I do I just think long, that, I mean, long term, it, I think Purdue's a better a better opportunity to win and win yeah, on, we, on a big time level because I think you don't have Clemson. Clemson's in Louisville's division. Right. Clemson's not going away. No, and no, it's not like they're going to get worse. Right. No, I think Purdue's a better job. But the, the 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 consideration in this thing is, you know, the family and its emotion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's not just a, fit, a financial or even a coaching decision. It's a family decision. It's an emotional decision. Man, I think it'd be tough. And like I said, I, I've lived this a little bit on the coaching side. But, you know, what I do in my day job, you know, going back home is not always easy. And. Uh, what you find out is home isn't always the way you remembered it was, and, yeah. you, might, and you might not like it, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Right. So sometimes you be grateful for the opportunities you have and not long for the ones that you think might be better. And we'll see. We'll see what happens. Who knows? I don't know. Yeah. It's a, and, it's, and it's, like It's a distraction, and if you don't handle it right, it's going to hurt your season. Yeah. And they've got a they've got a good a big game coming up last home game of the year with Wisconsin a three thirty start. Uh, Wisconsin has not looked good actually. I just saw the early line before we jumped on. I think Purdue's a three point favorite, which seems unfathomable given what happened last week. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, I think that's just that's, that's all Vegas is saying is that it's an even game and they get the home field advantage. It's all this. Sure, sure, but just to think about. Even you, you would think back three years ago where Wisconsin was at, where Purdue was at, that Purdue has so quickly gotten to a similar level as Wisconsin. And I think Wisconsin's got a lot of troubles right now. And I think a lot of them start under center. You are a bigger fan of Alex Hornibrook than I am, but I have a sneaky suspicion that is because I have watched how Alex Hornibrook play more football than you have. But I could be wrong there. I just... I think that he's a guy that if Purdue can stop so that, the run, that was a really, a really nice way of saying that you think I'm uninformed. I, I, I just think that the if you watch Horny Brook play against teams that take away the run, he really, really struggles to to make some of the the throws that you need 
to be a decent quarterback. I don't think it's going to matter because I don't think he's going to be active. He did uh, not. I don't think he. He, he did not travel with the team this weekend. Uh, he's got something going on physically, injury wise, that he's dealing with that I think is not simple in nature. I mm-hmm. I would not be the least bit surprised, Connor, if he's not active for the game and doesn't play. So I don't yeah. know. I don't know that's going to matter. Well, and an injury that's that's something to watch for Purdue. Jacob Thinneman, who did not mm, play, man. did not play in Minnesota. Uh, Brahm has said he has a shoulder injury. He could be out a while. And Marcus Bailey and I believe it was Derek Barnes as well. After the game, both both of them said that they missed Thinneman's presence in the back end, making sure that guys were getting lined up in the right spot. Yeah, and, his, and, and it showed. Yeah, it did. It's bad. His brother's nowhere near as good. And then we put Corey Trice in, try and do something, and then he gets burnt for about 30 yards over the top on his very first play from scrimmage. Right. Um, well, and I think I think it showed that, that Jacob Thinneman's value is less in the physical realm is more so as it is just in his ability to get guys in the right spot. He's a leader. Get guys lined up. You know, he's the quarterback of the defense, if you will, because he's that last guy back there. Leader and on they're the gonna, field. Right, he's a leader. And they're going to have to fit. It's going to have to be Marcus Bailey, Cornell Jones, Derek Barnes, Navon Mosley. One of these senior leader, you know, or not senior, but these veteran guys are going to have to step up and fill that void if he's going to be out for a while. Agreed. All right. Should we segue into uh, basketball? Yes. Let's, uh, you know, football, here, football here, was not here's, the only thing going the, on. Here's Cliff Notes' version on football played like garbage, got her butt handed to us. Yep. On the road. Don't know mm-hmm. what the deal is with the coach. Going to be a distraction. Dominate the media and all the fan talk for next yes. next month. Yep. Okay, there you go. Moving on. All right. Now so now we're on to uh, Purdue basketball, a game that you and I had both discussed as potential kind of trip-up trap game for Purdue going against Ball State. You know, jumping back to the, the Fairfield opener because we've not recorded since then. You know, they did what they should against Fairfield. They shot the ball unbelievably well, and they blew them out. Uh, but Ball State was an impressive game, and I think you and I both walked away from that feeling a lot better about Purdue than we maybe even thought we would be at this point early in the season. Yeah, I shot the ball incredibly well against Fairfield and shooting eyes a lot of other ills. Um, right. Nogel did not play great against Fairfield, mm-hmm. and then comes back and is, quite frankly, the player of the game against Ball State. Um, yeah. Ball State's got a great club, man. That's a good team. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's a good team. They stay healthy. Um, they got a chance in the MAC. They got to get by Buffalo, who's a quality team, man. But yeah. I'm telling you, the Cardinals are in the mix. They really are. I love Taylor Persons as a player. Uh, man. Oof. Kid's baller. Kid's winner. Yes. I love him. He just about willed them into the game through the first half. And then, yeah, well, he did. He had, I mean, and he then, scored. And then he got guarded by Nogel Eastern and went over in the second half. But uh, he was 19 good. first half. Yeah, 19 first half points for Taylor Persons. And I mean, Nogel, uh, Nogel showed you. Look, it's no secret that Nogel's a little limited offensively. I don't think he fully knows what what his role is yet. Uh, you know, he doesn't have a, a jump shot. But man, oh man, Nogel Eastern showed up defensively and showed up on the glass. Yeah, he rebounded big time. 
nine rebounds, six of them on offense, on the offensive end, 12 points. He was just, he was, I mean, like you said, he was player of the game for them because he locked up persons. And I, I mean, I thought that Purdue defended as well as I've seen them defend in three years. Because they just got up into Ball State and made them uncomfortable. Yeah, definitely. A couple things. One, Bob Nozell. Look, we need Nozell to be good. We need mm-hmm. we 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 need Nozell to 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 uh, embrace his role, which I think is to be at a, a on the ball, shut down defensive guy, rebound out of that guard spot, and then play in transition. You know, rooting against Nozell doesn't make any sense. For no. any of us, rooting against no. Nozell is like walking on the plane and rooting against the pilot. Yeah, okay, that, that's, want not, to have success. that's not real smart. Like, I want the pilot to be really good. Yeah. Okay, I mean, we need Nozell to do exactly what he did against Ball State, and I, he is a big guy with a lot of reach. He is deceptively quick, as Taylor Persons can now attest to, and he mm-hmm. can shut you down. And I think that's his role. He's not. No, is he a great scorer of the ball? No, he's not. But I tell you what, man, rebound, put back, playing transition. He was pretty darn good. And there's a role for that. Now, defensively, they were really good. They went to that smaller lineup, and man, they can get out after people. I love how they're switching. They're basically switching yeah. one through four. You know, like Harms, mm-hmm. Harms doesn't switch, but everybody else is switching, man. Yeah. Switching everything and. uh you can just put pressure on a team and get them playing fast, and that changes everything. Look, it's just, you know, wrong guy, wrong shot, changing possessions, the same as a turnover. Yeah. Um, and, and that's really what they are doing with some of those smaller combinations. I was super impressed. Well, we, this, out, re, th- we, we rebounded the ball like fiends in the second half. Yeah. You know, and that was huge. Well, and, then and, we tur- think- and, then, and we turned them over. Well, yeah. I'm, we turned, I'm we right. turned them over. And I'm getting to that here. Uh, K.J. Walton and Taylor Persons, the, the two guys who handled the ball the most, also played the most minutes of Ball mm-hmm. State, 11 turnovers between the two of them, yeah. and only two assists. Yeah. And that's, that's the biggest difference. Yeah. 18, 18 turnovers for Ball State. Purdue only shot 21, round up 22% from three. They did not shoot the ball well. But they came out, they locked them down. They were great on the offensive glass. They had 19 rebound offensive rebounds. They just were they they were so impressive and they were active. They played hard. They played fast, like you said. I, I told you this earlier. I think that that's a game where if Purdue last year shoots 20% from three, they lose to Ball State. Yeah, no, I guarantee they get beat. Right. They get and, beat. Because they, this team is more athletic, they're more versatile defensively. Like you talked about, you know, Harms isn't able to to. It doesn't necessarily switch one through five. But if Matt Harms ends up on a guard, you're not. It's not the Isaac Haas situation where you're like, oh boy, it's a layup or a foul. But right. yeah, Matt Matt can do enough that he's going to turn some guys away and, and move his feet, and that would be the his play. And Evan Bordeaux's play, both those guys at the five combining for 30 points and nine, or excuse me, 11 rebounds. That, I mean, that was huge, too. They got tremendous production. 
they had a lineup in between the 15-minute and the 12-minute mark of the first half. Zarin, um, Evan, Carson, Nogel, and I think it was Ryan. Yeah. And they just absolutely got out after him. Mm-hmm. Just got out after him. And I thought really changed the tempo and played more up and down the floor. Really got into him defensively and with the ball. And he kind of changed the, the tone of the game. And then Nogel just jumping on persons in the second half. That was it. That changed the game. Changed the outcome of the game. He's player of the game. Nogel is no player of the game. Nogel and Aaron's ability to make guys uncomfortable on the perimeter defensively was such a huge role. Like, Wheeler only had five points. He only had two rebounds, but they were offensive rebounds. One of them was a putback, but he had two blocks in 16 minutes. He was yeah, Aaron, he, Aaron, Aaron Wheeler will be an electric player in Mac Arena before it's all said and done. Yeah. You know, most guys on, you know, he had a couple tip-in efforts. They didn't get done. You know, most guys on tip-in dunk, you know, are trying to push the ball down through, right? Right. This dude gets off the floor so high, I I tell you, he is pushing horizontally, you know, to put the ball in the 10. It's unbelievable what what kind of hops he has. It's just going to be, for him, it's just going to be a process of figuring out how he integrates in. And, you know, Grady's doing a great job. You know, we talked about this in the earlier, you know, podcast. Grady's really important between now and January. Yeah. Aaron Wheeler's going to be in, in, playing those minutes at that spot from January on. Yeah. Because he's just – he's crazy athletic. Well, and, and he got the start uh, largely because Grady was in foul trouble. Yeah, Grady had, Grady had three at the half, man. But, but he got the start in the second half, and that was – they were able to mm-hmm. kind of pull away. Yeah, played great. Played, uh, played great. Really, the only – I mean – and you, we want to talk about a team finding a way to win with Carson Edwards going eight for twenty-two and Klein going three for twelve. Your two most proven scores really struggled. And yeah, Ryan was, was one at one. Ryan was one at eight from the three-point line. One and nine, according one to the official stats. All right, one, one and nine. All right, they shot what twenty-some percent. I mean, yeah, tw- yeah, yeah. <laughs> Boy, yeah, not they didn't great. Shoot the ball well. And so that, they, they they got back in it and won it because of defense and rebounding. Last year's team not athletic enough to do that. No, I mean they had forty four points in the paint. Um, they had twenty two second chance points, and I think that the points in the paint is huge because it didn't come off post ups, which is no. different than it has been the last four years. No, they rim ran it because Ball State was running two guys at the ball handler off the ball screen. Right. So they, they they did they they in the you know Birdo got really good at popping it. He had a couple threes I think off a of pick and pop. Mm-hmm. And then you know Matt had a dunk, you know rim running that deal. Birdo I think scored on a rim run. And they can do some things athletically. They get you paint points that they weren't getting before. But I think and those no, y'all can post up. Yes, and did a couple times. Had a couple. Yeah. I might point out, finished with his right hand. Hey, look, he admitted, you said, you were listening on the, the radio on the way home, that he mm-hmm. he admitted that he's right-handed. He did. He came clean on it. Which is something that he has been kind of, you know, floated around for a while. 
but he's he's right-handed. He finishes with his right hand. For whatever reason, he doesn't shoot right-handed. I don't think he's going to switch shooting hands in the middle of the season, so it's not like it really matters that much. But He's not, he's not going to switch ever. It's just what he wants to do, and that's fine. Yeah. He, I'll tell you what. He can shoot with his feet if he wants to go ahead and be active enough on the glass to pull down nine rebounds a night. Yeah, he's got a role. He's critical. He's an important piece of this puzzle. Happy for him. Happy for the team. But, uh, you know, getting back to my original point about the 44 points in the paint, I think that there were a lot of people, you and I included, coming into this year that were interested to see how they would score, how they would generate offense, even if Carson was having an off night. And, and I think that they were able to answer with they can they can score inside without traditional post-ups, like you talked about, doing some of the rim running, getting out in transition, making plays off of rebounds in that is something that's going to help open up the rest of the offense for them. Um, I think it's possible. Yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's too small sample size. You know, um, we're talking about Ball State. Um, let's talk about Nick Ward. <laughs> okay, let's talk about uh, the kid at uh, Penn State. What Mike? Uh, um, uh, yeah, Mike, Mike Webb's Mike Watkins, who's Watkins. crazy athlete. Let's talk about. Hap up there at Wisconsin. You know, those are some guys that are pretty good players in the paint. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. Tajay Teague's good, you know, but he's he's not those guys. Right. So, you know, Derek Pardon, Northwestern, just watching play last night, looked really good. Um, you know, we'll see. We'll see. But, you know, I, I think I'm far more encouraged coming out of that Ball State deal, and I was going into it. And, and I think that if they're able to continue to play at that pace, they're mm-hmm. going to bother a lot of teams in the Big Ten. They need to play in transition, play up-tempo. They're good at it. Because I, I promise you Wisconsin does not want to play in a track meet. No! <laughs> they want it to be in the 50s. Exactly. Northwest Northwestern's not looking to run up and down the floor. Uh, <laughs> not this year, no. And – there are going to be, you know, really only a couple teams that are going to feel comfortable doing that. Illinois is one of them. Illinois is one of them. Uh, mm-hmm. Michigan State likes to get up and going, but Nick Ward's one of the few known pieces on their their team this year. You know, they don't have the same experience like they have had in years past. I think no. Purdue yeah. can defensively bother a lot of people. It's a very different Purdue squad than what any of us have seen in the last couple of years. It goes back more to the baby boilers and kind of the vision of a team that Coach had when he first got there. Uh, you know, guys that are skilled and get out after it, kind of interchangeable. Uh, it, it's going to be fun. Good win. Good win. Dangerous game. Hey, we may see him again. Yes. Yeah. We could uh, see him. We could see him again in Charleston, man. Yeah, and let's let's go ahead and talk about the Charleston tournament coming up this week. You know, the Boilers are on the road for the first time this season, a uh, non-conference in Charleston. They've got Appalachian State to start, but there's some good good squads down there. You know, Wichita State and Davison, two tournament teams from last year. You know, Purdue obviously is is pretty good. Um, Appalachian State's an improving team. You know, Ball State, we saw what Ball State was able to to bring to the table for a half, you know, there's, there's good, 
basketball down there. And it will be important that the Boilermakers continue to take the momentum that they have from that Ball State win and, and move forward. Yeah, so from a coaching standpoint, you know, we talked about this with football a couple weeks ago, if memory serves me right. Uh, just with a young team, an inexperienced team, the things that you have to learn and get accustomed to that are not X and O type things, just travel, you know, and how your week's different and how do you prepare. And, you know, so you look at, you know, 10 guys basically played against Ball State. Trayvon Williams, Aaron Wheeler, Sasha, Eric Hunter have never traveled and played yeah. on the road, right? Yeah. And then throw Bordeaux in, who's at Dartmouth, and I understand it's Ivy League D1, but it is not the same. Mm-hmm. And it is not. You know, so now half your guys that played against Ball State really are going on the road, man, and playing in a multi-day tournament for the first time. And so – there's a whole learning experience there about how do you do that and how are you, how do you do that professionally and how do you keep yourself rested and how do you keep yourself ready and, you know, simple things from your nutrition to your rest to, you know, don't stay up all night goofing around the hotel, you know, cause don't look, don't ever forget. Do not ever lose sight of the fact who are we talking about here? Talk about 18, college kids. Yeah. 18, 22 year old college kids. Yep. Sometimes they do dumb things. Mm-hmm. Like, some, you know, go back to football, Minnesota, right? They're 18, 22 year old college some, kids. Some, sometimes, sometimes they don't show up. Yeah, like sometimes they do stuff that's just like, what the world it just happened? So, you know, for the basketball team, you know, half the team basically, this is a brand new experience. And so this is a two to two year project for coach and the staff. Yeah, I think Charleston really is a good, you know, talk about teachable moments again. I think it's a great teachable moment. Well, and I do think that for the other half of the roster, even throw uh, Sasha and Aaron in this mix, those guys were were there for the non-conference tournament last year where Purdue stubbed their toe twice against Tennessee and against – uh, it was Western Kentucky, right? Yeah, yeah, but but watching it and doing it are two different things. Yeah, no, but the, the, they at least have some experience. You know, Klein and Eifert and those guys were there. You know, they they can help keep some of the younger guys a little sharper because they remember what it's like if you don't show up ready to play. And just because you're not playing Tennessee or Western Kentucky doesn't mean that you know Appalachian State won't come in and just knock your teeth. At, and if you don't show up ready to play, there's good teams in this Charleston Classic. You got Appalachian State, Wichita State and Davidson were tournament teams. Alabama was a tournament team last year. Virginia Tech was a tournament team last year. And then you yeah, throw it's Ball good State. Field. Yeah, you throw Ball State in the mix, and, he, and Northeastern's no slouch either. No, they're not. Uh, it, so there's know, there's a whole thing you do on the road just to keep your routine normal, right? Yeah. Like, like you get up and you go shoot in the morning, right? Because if you don't mm-hmm. get them out of the hotel room, Guess what they do? Nothing. Ah, they stay in bed till noon, man. And then you're sluggish all day. Right. You know, so you do, there's a whole rhythm and a rhyme and a reason to being on the road. It's basically about just trying to keep your routine as like normal as possible. Um, and so for young guys, you got to learn to do that. And then, you know, to your point, you got to feel to some veteran teams that know how to play. Yeah. Uh, you better take care of your business or you're going to get stung. 
So I, it's, it should be fun. I just think this whole season is going to be fun. Well, I think it's going to be a learning experience. I think it'll be fun to see how Eric Hunter bounces back after what was a he was kind of the lone guy who really struggled. Yeah, he didn't play great. You know, against Ball State, I think he, I think he was a little surprised by the physicality that Persons brought <laughs> and some of the speed, right? Which is good. You have to have those those learning experiences. And hey, man, t- t- Taylor Persons been physical since the day guy was born. Well, yeah, he, I mean he's a <laughs> he's a linebacker playing basketball, but I, mean, I remember watching him play high school basketball, Kokomo. Yeah. <laughs> He's a he was, baller. I love I, him. I'm not sure that he's gotten much bigger since he was in high school because he just was – he was built like that. He's, he's slimmer. Football. No, he's no, slimmer. truly. He's leaner. Yeah. yeah. He's leaner. He's leaner because, again, he's – you know, there's a difference here with the nutrition and the training and how to get your body right, your mind right. And he's clearly – he's learned all of that. Well, I, yeah. admit, I don't know if that's in northern Kentucky. Probably not. I think he's been at, over there in Muncie, but – yeah. yeah, he's actually leaner, meaner than he was in high school. Yes. Yeah, he had a but knee I, thing in high school. If I yeah, remember he tore, right. yeah, he tore his knee playing football. Yeah, which yeah. Is, which is why he ended up at Northern Kentucky in the first place because he right he was a higher recruit. Sure. Yeah, I mean he's a Big Ten point guard. There aren't very many teams in the Big Ten that right now wouldn't take him starting at point guard. Mm-mm, no, no, no doubt, no doubt, no doubt. Anyway, but I do. Yeah, well, I think it's going to be interesting to see how some of the young guys, like you said, adjust and adapt to being on the road, a little bit of a different routine. You know, it will be it's going to be fun. It's going to be a year of learning experiences. I think we all know that. And I think it's also going to be a year of watching Carson Edwards shoot 30 footers that sometimes go in and sometimes don't. He's he makes uh, some unbelievable plays. Oh, the the. The um the fifteen foot fadeaway that he had against Ball State <laughs> is just unfair. It's unfair. So we're talking about unbelievable plays. I would be remiss if I did not point out that for the second game in a row, Ryan Klein hits the noon game YMCA shot <laughs> that everybody thinks Bordeaux's gonna shoot, right? Yeah, yeah. With the holding him off with his left arm and the little scoopy doop shot with his righty banking it in i mean ryan klein's sneaky good with the ball i think it i think that's been the biggest surprise of you know we're two games in right so we're we're really putting we're we're making some early small sample size sure but i don't think anybody saw him having the ability to create with the ball like he has so you got, does he have 12 assists through two games i believe so yeah because he had yeah. five he had five against ball state he had seven against. He had seven against Fairfield. There you go. So twelve yeah. in total, and he has yeah. been really good. And it's not, it's not twelve. It's not twelve assists with. Oh well, I caught the ball and I found a shooter in rhythm, in the flow of the offense. It's attacking the basket and finding open guys. Yeah, he's sneaky good with the ball. He yeah. can shoot it like none other. You can't tell that from the other night, but yeah, I mean, well, he's, I mean, he he's he's good with the ball. He sees the floor. He understands the game. I will say this about Klein, and this talks about the growth. Years past, if he shoots one for nine, he's a non-factor. And to his credit, he found other ways to get involved in the game and stay engaged. Yeah. Yeah. He's a big part of the puzzle. Uh, There's a, a, you know, four guys that are critical. Carson, no-brainer. Duh. Mm -hmm. Other news today is his son – 
rises in the east and sets in the west, right? I mean, Carson's critical. Uh, Nozell's critical. Matt Harms critical. Got to stay out foul trouble, not do stupid stuff. Yep. And then uh, Ryan Klein's the other factor, man. Yeah. He really is. Ryan Klein is – he's the number two guy offensively on the team. And uh, he's a lot better. He's more than just a three-point shooter. He's more versatile than that. He's more multiple than that. You're going to see that as the season progresses. And it will certainly be interesting to watch how not only the veteran guys but the young guys gel moving forward. Well, that's going to do it for tonight's episode. Thank you for listening. As always, be sure to comment, rate, and subscribe. Tell your friends, tell your, your fellow Boilermakers to give us a listen. You know, we're, we're looking next week to uh, open up a little bit of a, a segment for some questions. We're going to start with Twitter. We're trying to work on some some other stuff to help kind of just engage our fans. You know, if it weren't for all of our listeners out there, you know, a little bit of a small base right right now, but we're building, you know, it would just be you and I screaming at each other through telephone hey, look, lines. If, you, if you're not listening to this, I don't know what you're listening to, but you better get a clue and start tuning in because it's good stuff. Well, as always, boiler up. And hammer down. <laughs>